Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. We're recording today's episode in the morning of Friday, the 29th of January, and it's quite a numbers day today. We've got quite a few um, stats that have been released and, and talked about in the press over the last week or so. Um, we're going to look at some insolvency stats and some business surveys on um, you know, business resilience and, um, and potential insolvency. We've got some information from Bank of England on um, their credit survey employment, furlough figures, um, and also some um, just to pick up on, on Brexit from, from last week and some of the, the fallout that's been continuing to be talked about. So, Nick, where should we start? Insolvency? Well, or? Let, shall we kick off? There were two surveys Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the press earlier this week. Um, one of them um, was conducted by Santander and concluded that one in 12 small businesses were unsure about whether they would ultimately survive. And I suppose we were trying to get a handle on that. That's probably a quarter of a million businesses. And, and, you know, I can go with the theory that uh, there are that number of businesses unsure about whether they will get through this. What I had much greater difficulty with was um, the London School of Economics then came charging out yeah. same day, maybe the next morning, um, uh, with a grandiose um, uh, introduction signed by Gordon Brown, That's right. predicting mm. that 900,000 UK businesses would fail. Yeah. And... I, did I mean, a that real, is a pretty, pretty yeah, I, did, I did a real double take. I mean, that's one in four mm. of, of, of mm. businesses. You know, I, I just don't get that. And I, so I harumphed around for a bit and then I read the detailed report. You know, I didn't stop at the press release. Yeah. And I have some difficulties with the methodology because it's taken the ONS's bi-monthly uh, business confidence uh, sur- survey that they do, and they t- they talk to businesses about turnover movements, and and they talk about you know their fears and worries about the the future, and they talk about their cash reserves, all this stuff. We I mean, t- we talk- like we've talked about it, haven't we? In the we past talk about this, it this anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, bless their cotton socks. The LSE's researchers took the uh, bear. This is a survey of just two thousand businesses. Is it that so, low? Gosh, okay. It's that low. 2,194, I think. Anyway, they took the percentage of those businesses who were not sure that they would uh, survive, sorry, or who, who said they they feared whether they would survive. Or yeah, not. I think it was no confidence or low confidence. It was low those confidence. Two they, but they then added mm. the, the no confidence and low confidence numbers together and extrapolated you know, through a number of interesting hoops and came up with a number of, of 900,000 failures. Now, that in itself is an eye-catching, you know, and, and if the intention was to get the, um, you know, get some reaction out of the government, I imagine it probably succeeded. Yeah. And, that, and that's <laughs> interesting, because I think that's what, that was the point, I think, at the, the end of the press release, and I, I didn't go to the detail of, of reading the whole report, I confess, but the press release um, that I read was really about saying, look, you know, we have to do something. We can't 
saddle these companies with enormous amounts of, of debt. We can't afford to have these companies. And there are lots of micro businesses in there. And I think yes. um, about half of that, of that 908,000, I think they said about 400,000 were registered for VAT, for VAT and PAYE. So the other half, a, a teeny a kind of micro um, entity. A tiny. Now, now uh, I wanted to set this in context. You know, I'm not saying they're wrong. I think I'm saying that uh, it's unlikely but I just wanted to put it in the context that the number of company insolvencies, which we now have the number for as of 9.30 this morning, yeah. <laughs> in 2020 were precisely 12,500 mm. in England and Wales. If you add Scotland and Northern Ireland in, and then you add to that the trader individual insolvencies, so the sole traders and, and unlimited partnership insolvencies, mm. you might get that number to 15. Yeah. Thousand uh, in 2019, the equivalent number would be 21,000, and the peak ever was just after the global financial crisis or in the midst of it, where mm. we were close to about 25,000 business failures. So, 250,000 as per Santander is a bit of a an issue. 900,000 and. Um, you know, my worry, and again, I expressed it on Twitter and got quite a reaction uh, to, uh, to this, was how exactly are, is the government expecting the insolvency profession and industry to cope? It's only ever dealt with 25. Yeah. And uh, there was much concern in the industry when, was it Eula Hermes came up? came out saying 35,000. That's right. Yeah, that was earlier, yeah. I think, in July time. Yeah, 2021. It? Yeah. Um, it simply couldn't cope mm. with a quarter of a million, never mind 900,000. Um, so, and that will be an implication for our audience because if there are, if there's even 50,000 or say yeah. 75,000 failures this year, the insolvency processes will grind to a They'll halt. Grind to a halt. <clears throat> and already we know that, you know, it's, Insolvency processes are, are struggling under. There's a backlog of, you know, it's just it's just adding adding more Absolutely misery. Right. And, and, and a vast, um, I hate to get techie here, but a vast number of the increase will be little insolvencies with no assets in them. And mm. the private practice insolvency practitioners, like I used to be, won't touch them with we'll a barge pole. So the, no fees. Mm. So they'll be done by the insolvency service through the official receiver network. Yeah. And they can't cope at the moment. Yeah. Never mind I if you dump it, another fifty thousand on them. Absolutely, and I, I think we, you know, we said that there are, um, there of course there are the the wind ups and um, yeah. dissolutions that are dealt with by, by company house, which will add a few more to those um, to those yeah. figures. But clearly, there's 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 a big issue, and and then there's the issue of zombie companies, so the companies that aren't being forced to to fail that really should be failing. And, you know, Nick, you did some um, research, you contributed to a Telegraph article back in October yeah. where there's been an, a, an explosion in the number of zombie companies and that's yeah. pre-pandemic figures. So it is yeah. really worrying for anybody who's who's um, who's got risk with these companies that just can't cope with the with the amount of debt that's, that's on there. And, I, and as that's I say, right. I think that's where the LSE were going in terms of saying, you know, jumping up and down and saying, we need to do something about this because yeah. <clears throat> um, the system can't cope. Now, um, to update on the actual numbers on insolvencies, just so that um, very quickly, um, we've got the December figures on their own, which are experimental stats from the insolvency service. And that shows um, a rise in 
in creditor voluntary liquidations. So those are company initiated, not creditor yeah. initiated, of uh, 26% compared to a year previously, but everything else is down. Mm. If you look at the quarterly figures, so Q4 2020, for the first time in a while, the insolvency numbers are up. Company insolvencies are up 17% in that quarter compared to the previous quarter, Q3 2020. They're still down on on 2019. Mm -hmm. And again, all the action is in creditor voluntary liquidations, CVLs. And that's and so those are companies who are who are making that decision to say, yeah, we can't, it's not viable, yeah. we can't go on. Yeah, and it and it may well be companies that would in would in in more normal times have been wound up by their creditors but since the creditors can't wind up anything at the moment um in some cases it, you know the directors are doing the decent thing and saying i can't you know we can't continue with this yeah. and we'll call we'll call a halt to it so that's the insolvency um numbers i was just gonna say, i'm gonna just quickly jump in there and just say one of the things that we've talked about you know and it's a kind of um relevant in terms of the insolvency <coughs> um and and the struggle to to pay debts the vat um deferment so People remember that that the the VAT that was due between April and June last year could be deferred, and until I think this week, that was going to be a cliff edge of needing to be paid by the end of March, um, twenty twenty one. Now, um, HMRC are saying that companies can apply to defer that payment over, I think, eleven months. I think the, they you can pay it over eleven instalments up to January twenty twenty two, but it's something that companies actually have to apply to and um, to do, and it's interest free. Um, crucially yeah. so again when we haven't got that we're kind of pushing kind of slightly feels that we're pushing the problem further down the road but at least it's not going to be a, um, a complete cliff edge for um, for march it's a highly mobile can indeed indeed <laughs> i mean i yeah i mean there are other things that i think we, we want to come back to in terms of the all the provisions for creditor action that are meant to um to end as yeah. well at that point but hopefully yeah. we should get some more um some more clarity in that as, as the time goes on yeah um where corporate we demand, corporate um, uh, credit demand? Yes, interesting. This okay, Bank, Bank of England figures, um, quite interesting, showing, again, I'm not sure I'm very surprised by this, that um, if you break down uh, demand for lending by the size of the business, mm -hmm. you get um, a small drop in demand from small businesses. You get a slightly bigger drop in demand from medium uh, size companies and then you get a quite a significant rise in demand from large corporates and your theory of course is and I, and I agree with it that um you know small businesses have already borrowed to the extent that they can and why would they yeah. borrow more at this particular moment in time i mean maybe the odd hospitality business trying desperately to get through to the through mm -hmm. to when you know restaurants and pubs can reopen but it's also the, the bounce back and the Seabill schemes have kind of skewed the um the lending market, haven't they? So you know, if yeah. you can get access to funding through that that government backed scheme, which you know, again, it's a it's a it's a guarantee for the lender, not the um debtor. But yeah. even so, you know, that and you've got the the terms of um not being repaid for a year, and now we're talking about 10-year repayment period instead of a five-year um repayment period. So it does it you do think if you really need to borrow the money you'd kind of think quite carefully before going and doing it on a kind of normal commercial um, terms if there's uncertainty about ability to yeah. repay. 
Yeah, and I, I, I mentioned hospitality in passing oh, there. Oh, yeah, there's some just, just, figures. Just worth sharing um, that UK uh, hospitality have come out with their quarterly tracker, um, came out yesterday again, I think, uh, that turnover in of the hospitality sector in the UK in 2020 dropped from £134 billion the year before to £62 billion. Pounds. So wow. that works out at a revenue loss of £200 million a day in the sector. Wow. What would it? What might it have been without eat out to help out? Yeah, quite. And I think I mean again, we've had the news um, this week in terms of um, school reopenings. The earliest school reopens will be the eighth of March, and you know that's that gives you a, a kind of indication of where the, the lag that we'll have before um, hospitality comes out. May, 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 yeah. is, May is the latest government thinking, yeah. which I can't remember who said it. I don't think it was I don't think it was our uh, our fat leader, but it was um, it was. It was somebody in the government said it's likely to be in stages, you know, uh, non-essential shops in April, hospitality in May. May. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. indeed. And we've got, and obviously the the, the budget's coming up um, beginning of March. Is it third yes. of March? I think so. We yeah. we might get again a little bit more um, information there about how these really critical sectors, and of course the travel. We haven't even touched on the travel sector. Maybe that's something to come back to next week um, mm. with all the, the the news on quarantine um, and so on, and the airlines really really struggling. Um, I'm conscious that time is 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 um, running on. Nick, you wanted to talk about, and I really you've got some interesting thoughts on this Arcadia and. Um, Debenhams. Debenhams. Yes. Okay. Now, um, we I think we pretty much now know the outcome of the failure of Arcadia and Debenhams. Arcadia, um, ASOS is buying Topman Topshop Miss Selfridge yep. for an amount not disclosed in the public domain yet, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. And Boohoo are buying the other brands for the princely sum of £25 million. Now, Let's just put this again in context. The last published balance sheet of Arcadia in September 2018 had gross assets of £1.26 billion. The administrators are now saying that there are unsecured debts of £750 million, plus the secured lenders, plus the pension scheme deficit. And if the best that will come out of this is 25 million for the for the minor brands and whatever ASOS is paying, which if it's 200 million, I'll be astonished. Yeah. Um, then you can see the scale of the problem with a retail balance sheet, mm. the difference between a going concern valuation and a gone concern. If you look at Debenhams, it's even worse. Last balance sheet of Debenhams was September 2018. Mm-hmm. Gross assets of 1.8 And bear in mind, there are not, you know, you might think, oh, there's all those department stores. Almost all the value in the stores was yeah. sucked out of the business. And they were leases, weren't they? They were they were sales, they yeah. were sale and lease back deals that stuffed the business with excessive mm. rents. I can't help thinking of Southern Cross in the in the in the uh, residential care sector yeah. as a comparison. So anyway, one point eight billion in the balance sheet. As far as I'm aware, the only deal on the table is for Boohoo to buy the brand for fifty five million pounds. And you will remember that we uh, have in the past talked about House of Fraser. Yep. Um, where 
gross assets of 1.1 billion turned into, I checked it this morning, the final realizations in the insolvency totaled 115 million pounds, most of which was With Mike Ashley mm. grotesquely overpaying for the um, for the stock to get his foot in the door. So 1.1 billion turned into 115 million. I mean, so, it's actually useful. I mean, we, we've done I, we've done a few things on that on our website. We could we'll share some links of the House of Fraser that we've done um, in the past with some interesting um, lessons. And actually, it is history repeating itself, isn't it? In these two, absolutely, absolutely. Two well, you know, I can't stress uh, more for people with um, credit risk in the retail sector. You know, put yourself in the position of a, of a bank or other finance lender, or a trade insurer, and think about what they would expect to see by way of covenants and ratios, and apply that to your risk as a, you know, as a, as a supplier, or a landlord, or whoever else, owed money on an unsecured basis, and ask yourself, if you were the, if you were the, a bank, would you be lending? Would you be lending? And if the answer is no, why are you, why are you extending credit? Yeah. Sorry, but you know it, these are tough times. You, you can. And I no think that is a th- again, you know, we've, we have been lulled slightly into this this false sense of security where businesses haven't been failing really in large numbers yeah. now, and we know that is going to to change. You know, even if we are very skeptical about the the numbers yeah. that are coming out of Santander and LSE surveys, we know there will be an increase in insolvencies. Yeah. And, and, and bear in mind year. that you know Arcadia and Debenhams are not alone in this in this problem. It's only a week since uh, you know the high flying super dry mm. put out a going concern warning. Yeah, yeah. You know, and actually and, that and was something we talked about last week in terms of the retail, the auditors worrying about um, being able to, to actually audit the retailers audit within the um, within a. So it's a, for goodness' sake, be careful. Have we yeah. got time just to quickly touch on unemployment? Yes, yes, yes. Good idea. Okay, Un- unemployment figures in November. Five percent um, uh, rate, which equates to about one point six million. One point six million. Um, that's up one point two percent from a year ago, and zero point six percent from the previous quarter. And of course, the reason for that is the sur- is the furlough scheme, yeah. and the latest data from uh, ONS. Uh, from this survey that I was being slightly rude about earlier, uh, this this bi-monthly survey says that one in six private sector staff are currently on furlough. 5.3 oh, million. million people. And it's, it, it's at the highest rate uh, at one in six since uh, the back end of July. Mm. And it's been rising steadily, as you would expect, in December. Um because of course we've we we had tier four and then now now we're in lockdown. lockdown. So unsurprisingly, and so, it's interesting to put that into context. I I look back at the OBR um, forecasts and their central scenario, which is the one that we more or less um, look at as our as our guide. They're predicting that the employment rate uh, unemployment rate peaks at seven point five percent in Q two, twenty twenty one. So that's still fifty percent. It's another eight hundred thousand people. And but if you, you know, look with the, the five point three million on furlough, and you furlough. just think, I, I know. But the most, the, the thing that caught my eye was, I mean, those numbers are, are absolutely horrendous. Is that, funnily enough, average total pay is rising sharply because in between oh, September right. and November, average total pay 
according to the ONS, was up 3.6%. And is, that, is that across the board or is that just for the fellow? Yeah. No, that's the whole economy. Oh, right. That's the whole economy. And the, and and it doesn't matter whether you put bonuses in or, or you don't. The answer is it's still 3.6%. Hmm. So people are being paid more where they're in where they're in work, and because that must have some implications for profitability going yeah, forward. That's an, that's an interesting I hadn't I hadn't picked that up. That is an interesting thing to um to ponder on. Yeah. And, and, and and unsurprisingly, um vacancies are down by 35% mm. from a year ago, although they have gone up since the previous quarter. And, and wherever you look, redundancy rate uh, is at a record high. Um, number of people on payroll is down 2.7%, yeah. although that may be um, people going, you know, people from Europe and elsewhere going home. Possibly, yeah. That, that's been. I mean, that's actually an interesting segue into the next. You know, talking about um, Europe and and issues on that um, front. I thought we'd just just round up. You know, I know we talked last week a lot about Brexit, um, and I was interested to read that the um, those issues with exporting from the UK into the EU and all the paperwork that is being done on a kind of B two C basis. The um, helpline, I think, at the um, at the relevant department, I don't know whether it's Bayes, um, has been advising small businesses to open distribution centres in the EU as a way to yes to um, to circumvent that. So we'll see. I can't imagine that's going to be official government policy for for long. Let's hope that some well, deal the, the, is. The Cheshire Cheese Company have stopped exporting to Europe and are in the business of opening a hub mm. in Europe. So that's employment that's that's moved. It's lost. And there are there are mm. several stories. I think FT did some some yeah. um stories on on this topic over the over the last week. So it does seem to be that um that that creating a European hub, which is taking um jobs obviously away from from the UK seems to be the only way around to make this economical at yeah. the moment. Let's yeah, I mean, we should say, I mean, it's only fair to say that we are only a month into this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is unclear to what extent, you know, ingenuity and a bit of rule bending and general fiddling around will limit it. But we've, we have got some serious teething troubles at the moment with, with interruption to trade in both directions imports and exports yeah. i like there was um i'm going to finish on this this point there was a a nice quote i can't remember it was on the radio i think i heard it, it was um a, a journalist from the economist who said that people who talk about teething troubles have clearly never had a toddler teething <laughs> 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 like to dismiss it as something that is um irrelevant and inconsequential doesn't last very long and actually thinking back to um to teething and late night screaming um it, it feels an awful lot more painful when you're when you're going through it so, Nick, thank you very much, as always, for, for joining me. Thanks My pleasure. to everybody for listening, and we will be back next week. Bye-bye.